Here, there, and everywhere. SAFM 105.9 FM in Port Elizabeth. Ms. Nanjala Nyabole is an author, and this evening we are tackling mm-hmm. from the African perspective, traveling while African. This is part of the African narrative. Of course, we know that before the lockdown, essentially the world over, global travel experiences have changed and are attributed to the threat of terrorism and the need to make global travel more secure. But there are things that some of us have experienced through the process that are deeper than that. Ritual humiliations that have been introduced to the process of travel that have designed or designed to remind us that we are outsiders and unwelcome. The question really must be from this Kenyan author's perspective, Nanjala Nyabole, what are these views? She's a humanitarian advocate and political analyst. Traveling while African, your thoughts indeed. Good evening, Nanjala. Good evening. How are you, Sinezo? I'm well, ma'am. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Excellent. Do you want to give us some preliminary thoughts in terms of the challenges Africans are faced outside the continent when traveling? And what are some of the sticking points that the global north, if you like, seems to have against Africans? I think the first challenge that that comes to everybody's mind is obviously the challenge of trying to get a visa. Trying to get even the permission to leave your country to travel has become so difficult for most Africans. Um, we are uh, asked for information that other people are not asked for. Um, as, as one of our writers mentioned, in Nigeria, women are sometimes asked to um, produce a letter from their father to prove that they are going for a tourist vacation and not to go. And I don't know what they expect the Thai government expects Nigerian women to do in Nigeria. Um, the same is in, in the Middle East, in Dubai. Um, and, and all of these are extra barriers that are designed to... Um, make Africans less likely to travel. And they're not things that um, people who come from other parts of the world maybe have a direct experience with. Um, you know, even if it was just a question of cost, you know, how much more expensive it is to fly um, between African countries from parts of the world because of the taxation regime and the airlines, um, that would be one thing. But, you know, there's structural issues that are built into the way, the logic of travel that we wanted to explore. And we wanted to show people that it was making life really complicated and difficult for Africans and and, and discouraging us from experiencing the world the same way everybody else does. What are those structural barriers that Africans are forced to consider or to jump over, so to speak, that other countries of comparable descriptions or who are party to the same multilateral conventions or instruments, if you like, but they don't have to go through the hoops and loops that Africans do? Well, I'll give you an example. Um, when we had to, a couple of years ago, I, I feel like this has changed for some countries, but not all. Um, when I had to get a student visa to go to the UK, I had to get a t- tuberculosis test. I had to prove that I didn't have tuberculosis, didn't have, and that was an extra $50 that I had to pay to get an extra tuberculosis test. Um, we have our Sudanese essayist who writes about 
um, wanting to go to a wedding. Um, she wanted to attend a wedding, and she was asked to go to the Egyptian embassy, um, to the Sudanese embassy, sorry, in Cairo, to get a letter from the ambassador to say that she was a person of good character. Um, it, for a Kenyan passport holder to go to South America, to Ecuador, for example, the visa process takes six weeks in part because we have to get what is called a certificate of good conduct, which means you have to apply to the police, you have to supply your fingerprints and your background information, and the police do a background check on you, um, and then they'll issue you with the certificate, which is really just to go and be a tourist, but that is not reciprocated. Like when Ecuadorians come to Kenya, they don't have to go through that experience. Um, in fact, for most South American countries, the visa restrictions on, on Africans are, are so high that it's it's, it almost doesn't even matter that South America is so far away and it's so difficult to get to because it's almost impossible to surmount those um, obstacles. And we all know how difficult the Schengen visa is for Africans. We all know how difficult it is to even get a one-month, uh, you know, one-year um, Schengen visa. Um, and all of these are very peculiar uh, pressures and, and strains that are being applied to Africans that are not necessarily being applied to similarly situated countries. Thailand is asking Nigerian women to provide certificates from their fathers or from their closest male relatives in order to get tourist visas. Are Nigerians demanding the same of Thais? Um, I don't think so. SAFM. Primetime all day long. I beg your pardon for that, guys. I just missed an ad break there. But in that time, I was asking you the question in relation to how this has affected the content purposes of not getting Africans to travel as freely as other nations can back to the same Africa that they are giving difficulty. What at a political level might you attribute these uh, diplomatic um, attitudes towards, perhaps? I did not hear very clearly what uh, uh, Miss, uh, what's the name, Nyabola uh, asked. Nyabola. Nyabola, yes. Uh, Habari. <laughs> Uh, the, the, what, what's clear now is that uh, developed countries have become very, very uh, exclusive. They, they do not want us. Let me just put it like that. Um, they, they are closing borders. Uh, the Schengen is clearly meant to shift as much as possible and keep as many people out uh, as, 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 as they can. You have, of course, the issue of people because of the way we have managed our economies. We have a lot of people uh, migrating uh, to uh, Europe, crossing uh, seas and taking risks uh, and, 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 and landing in other places as refugees when they are really in search of jobs. The Western countries are very intolerant of that. They are, they are not kind at all to the plight of the Africans. If we were to talk at length about the role that most of those Western countries played in the plight of Africa, in producing what the, what's now the plight of Africa, then you would think they would be a little more sympathetic to people who are coming out like that. The truth of the matter is that all these humiliating things about a letter from the father or any is meant really to uh, keep people out. They will take some skilled people after thorough scrutiny, but there was a similar kind. It has moved to the right. There are right-wing people 
even countries like Sweden uh, and, this, and other Scandinavian countries, they have um, fascist uh, right-wing parties which just don't want to see um, people from the Middle East, from Africa. So racism is rampant and it accounts for these uh, immigration practices. Ms. Nyamore, let me come back to you because, I mean, now that we know it's not predicated on anything other than just pure oppression of a different kind, why then is this not as good an opportunity for Africa to grow intra-African travel? For instance, we know in the term of Ngosa Zanadlamini Zuma, the former AU chairperson, commission chairperson, that is, there was this talk of a single Africa passport. But in relation to that, the progress has been very slow, if anything. In many respects, I suppose, we do score a couple of our own goals. This doesn't at all justify what's happening outside the continent. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think that um, what happens is that a lot of the paradigms that we import from uh, regarding migration and mobility, we import them directly from more powerful countries. The countries that pay for the research, the countries that pay for the policy implementation, the countries that pay for the ideas are the ones who determine what ideas rise to the surface and what ideas get ignored. So when you think about the broader context in which the EU provides 65% of the EU's operational budget, how much space does the EU actually have to determine what migration policy is going to look like? When the 2015 crisis in the Mediterranean Sea started, um, African countries didn't have any summits. There were no meetings. There were no organizations mm-hmm. until European countries summoned African countries um, and to go and have a meeting, I think it was in Bamako, to discuss what was happening in the Mediterranean Sea. And so a lot of it is agenda-setting power that African countries have not mobilized um, each other. Um, and I, I say that with the caveat that at least in East and Central Africa, with the exception of South Africa, which is another conversation to have, um, at least in Eastern Central Africa, we do have, um, through Comesta, through the SADC, and through um, the East African communities, we do have relative freedom of movement. And certainly in West Africa, to echo us, there's freedom of movement. What is missing on the African continent is a pan-African approach to freedom of movement. So I can move around mm-hmm. freely with a Kenyan passport between the six or seven countries of East Africa, but I can't go to West Africa without a visa. And these are some of the bigger sort of meta questions that we have to ask ourselves about who is teaching us, um, you know, in the words of Malcolm X, who taught you to hate yourself? Who taught you to build these walls um, um, between each other? Final question to you, Nanjala. Surely at a political level, there must be some concerns for potential host countries of citizens who move as economic migrants or political migrants or religious migrants for the purposes of them fleeing away from persecutions. We've seen that in war-torn areas. We've seen in regions where terrorist organizations are infiltrating, and that becomes a necessity for those vulnerable groups of people, so to speak, to want to cross borders. I suppose then the question is, the failures at a political level of Africa have created this kind of problem, and the rest of the world might be saying, well, that's for Africa to sort out. We don't have to do this. Could this not then be the reason why some of these sentiments persist outside the continent, because it's not to say even in this country, you talk about South Africa being a conversation for another day, it's not to say those sentiments and attitudes don't exist. They do. We just don't want to talk about them because for whatever reason, we are uncomfortable. 
I mean, absolutely. And I, I think we have to take the war context, for example, with a pinch of salt. I think a great, a great example is what's happening in the Sahel region. And this idea that there is somehow a European migration crisis, or there's an African migration crisis in the Mediterranean Sea because Africans are trying to cross the sea as economic migrants, as refugees, and trying to get into Europe. First of all, we have to take about the, the big statistical context, which is that the percentage of people who try to make that dangerous crossing are infinitesimally smaller than the people who are legally trying to get, you know, go through the legal channels and legally trying to get um, refugee status or trying to move as economic migrants to where opportunities exist. Secondly, we have the historical context. We're talking about trade routes and migration routes that have been in place since before the 1800s, 1600s. I mean, the Trans-Saharan trade route is one of the oldest trade routes in the world. And people have historically always migrated along that route, um, taking boats across to what is present-day Spain, present-day Italy, present-day Malta, to work on vineyards, to work on orange groves, to work in um, olive groves. And it's really just been the criminalization of migration that has driven people who are using these historical routes uh, underground. And then, so what, and then the, the contemporary context, which is how have states responded to this? How have the states of the Sahel responded to this? Instead of you know, entering into um, a conversation about keeping people safe, um, we've criminalized these actions and we've driven people underground. We've driven people who would otherwise seek legal routes to seek um, uh, uh, clandestine routes, to go and work with smugglers. And that only makes things worse because it only creates more vulnerabilities. What you really want is a paradigm that begins with safe passage, which is that we don't assume that everybody who is coming into a, a new country mm-hmm. is a criminal until proven otherwise. But we lower the barriers, we make things accessible, we make the conversation more humane. And the more we do that, the more we realize that the people who are coming into our societies aren't coming to necessarily take anything away. Most of them are coming to put something in. Fantastic. We appreciate your thoughts, Ms. Nanjala Nyabole. This is the first essay in the six-part series, and it explores what it means to travel as a black African. She's the author of Digital Democracy, Analog Politics, How the Internet Era is Transforming Kenya. We certainly do appreciate your time, and we look forward to more of your thoughts. Back to you, Ndade MC Mangamin. I suppose we, we, we have to engage now this conversation in the context of the African free trade agreement this surely offers opportunity yet another this offers africa yet another opportunity to get some things right i mean different and quite frankly ambivalent in terms of what's happening outside the continent i I think africa needs to own her destiny to a point yes the ravages of apartheid in south africa are still standing and same can be true for the continent in relation to colonialism but surely we have to own some of the narratives that are of post-colonial societies No, you're absolutely, absolutely correct. I mean, for instance, in the case of South Africa, I don't know what the situation is. That's as Kenya. There aren't, if uh, you raise visas as a way of checking people from coming into uh, South Africa, uh, why, if we don't need a visa going into Kenya, surely there is no need for Kenyans that far away uh, needing a visa to come into, into South Africa. They don't even constitute the kind of threat that, you know, I'm putting that in embedded commas, coming to take jobs here. A lot of Kenyans that I know are around here are highly professional and, and add value, whether you like to admit that or not. 
but you do not have a mass of unemployed people coming here. So I cannot understand why you wouldn't, in the interest of promoting Afri- uh, Africanism, uh, weigh that. I, I, it, it, we've got Zimbabwe next to us, which has really been shattered. The economy is in ruins. You can understand uh, when people want to really stop people from coming in, although it's something you can never really achieve. But I like what uh, uh, you are saying, Songhenso. I think if we, if we are wanting to promote inter-African trade, you're not going to do that on closed borders. It just is anathema to that kind of exercise. So the political leadership needs to sit down really before we look at what others are doing beyond our continent, look at how we can clean up our house, uh, houses. There are there are problems. You know, I'm, I was impressed to know that between Zambia and um, Zimbabwe, you, you now have, you, you, you just go through. It's a, it's a seamless border that you cross uh, in Turundu there. I mean, more of those kinds of things would be very conducive to the promotion uh, uh, of inter-African trade. So I do think that... Uh, uh, I know the difficulties have to do with some people not being, some leaders not being quite accountable to their people. Uh, a lot of people who, might, who, who flee their countries is because they are, they, are, they, they are persecuted by their own governments. Uh, see, uh, either because they belong to a different ethnic group or something like that. And though you still have that. I, I guess those things do create some problems, not easy sailing, it's not smooth sailing, but if you are committed to the much-wanted African free trade uh, area um, concepts, then you would to look at these kinds of things. Ndatim Simang, your thoughts are thoroughly appreciated. We appreciate it indeed. We'll be returned after this with the book reading.